0: It's uh, 1 o'clock, 1,300 for you military types on, uh let's see, the 29th of March, uh, 2023. Uh, let me finish setting up one more piece of this whole thingy do here, and uh, we'll keep on rolling. <clears throat> uh, I'm not even going to do the whole Shodan stuff this session, because honestly, there's too much to cover uh, and too much to just get into. So um, let's just jump into it. Now, um, first thing is, uh, if you're not familiar with the deep fake side of it and some of the stuff that's been bouncing around on social, uh, this week there was a photo that came out and it was reported on CNN and CBS and MSNBC and name your whatever about Pope Francis in a puffer jacket. Um, Now, I don't know if anyone knows anything about fashion. Obviously, I don't because I wear the same five T-shirts and three pair of jeans every day of my life. But apparently, uh, this puffer jacket comes from Balenciaga or Balenciaga or something like that. And anyway, so essentially, there was a picture that was published uh, on Reddit. It was where it started, along with a few other sites. That was a fake. Um, And it was used, it was built using this software called Mid Journey, M-I-D Journey. If you're not familiar with Mid Journey go look it up and check it out. I was playing with it the other day. It's pretty staggering what you can do with it. Um, now, if you look at the, the pictures, they're not terrible. I mean, they're actually pretty solid. Like even the shading and the shadows are correct. Uh, the posture looks correct. There's no weirdness coming out there. So, but the the thing to really walk away from this is, um, Uh, is that this freaked out a bunch of Twitter people and I don't mean like 10 or 15 I mean thousands of Twitter people that were going after immediately this publication that came out uh, and it was the Pope is wearing um, and I I, I didn't even know this because I'm not into fashion but I guess Balenciaga or whoever the hell you say their name um, is in some sort of kerfuffle about uh, you know pictures with kids or some shit Uh, I I don't know I don't want to know but you know the the the, re, the reality here is not that it's the pope wearing a puffer jacket honestly who cares if he's the pope he can wear whatever the hell he wants i mean that hat that the pope wears is pretty amazing so wear wear a puffy jacket if you want mr pope but the ease with which this was created and the fact that it was started on one particular forum and spread to the rest and had people up in arms especially because this one is this person is a you know leader in the catholic faith um, is interesting, and it's it's comical that this time it was a uh, a picture of the pope with you know a jacket on that is tied to some other stuff. But the the real issue is if we're looking at what's coming right in the U.S. and I'm talking about the U.S. because that's where I live. But obviously, there's broader implications. We're coming up on another election cycle fuck i mean it is what it is but we are coming up on another election cycle with some of the same players in the space that were in here last time that caused other issues how hard is it for someone to go off and use mid-journey or Dali or valley or gpt or any of those things to come up with a believable conversation picture video etc Go off and jump into a social media channel, or even better, some social influencer person's account, and then push that stuff out to the masses. Um, What if you put a picture up of the Pope wearing a Confederate flag? What if you put a picture up of Donald Trump wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt? I mean, there's so many ways to manipulate this thing and to leverage the chaos that will ensue for a variety of purposes. And... The problem that we have, because I posted some stuff about this this week, was people like, oh, it looks fake, whatever else. If you got a brain in your head, yeah, it looks fake. Guess what? There's a lot of fucking idiots out there. There's a lot of absolute morons that are running around that happen to be in places of significant influence that buy this stuff or that think that it's real. And then they push it. It becomes a narrative. I mean, the the greatest example that I had was when the murder hornets were the thing. Murder hornets have been in the U.S. for 40 years, but because there was a bit of a shift going on around the uh, Japanese hornet in the U.S. and there was an opportunity to leverage that to cause some chaos, they did it. These organizations that were involved in that did it, and it it just proved the, the approach. And that's a bug. That's literally a bug, not a computer bug, like an actual bug. What happens when this is used in an orchestrated nation-state psyops type of attack uh, on the population that is already tweaked up and already ready to go to blows in some instances over political factions. I, I, I fully predict, I don't know if that's even a thing, I predict that there will be loss of life and physical and kinetic damage in the next election cycle based on these types of attacks. Um, you know I think I think that if you're not paying attention, you're missing the reality that's going on and coming your way. Um, it's happening. it happened with uh, Zelensky. There was a fake video from Belen- Zelensky telling his Ukrainian troops to lay their weapons down, and it took like twelve or eighteen hours for people to get ahead of that. When you have individuals that are in the political spectrum that do have influence and do have millions of followers and whatever else, and they get hit because of shitty cyber stuff. And then someone uses their account, which is considered valid, and they push out imagery, which most people will. Your alligator brain latches on to imagery way faster than text, like people react and then it goes and it becomes a thing. Um, I, I'm 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 genuinely concerned about this. So I'll, like I said, at the end of this, I'll put all the links to this and I'll sh- I'll put the link in there of the Pope picture. If you just cursory looked at it, you wouldn't know that it's kind of a fake picture. Um, you have to actually go look at the Pope's hand to see that there's something weird going on with the water bottle. Again, weird stuff. Uh, now, following on to that, let's go down the rabbit hole on um, an annual report that came out from COFENSE. Uh, C-O-F-E-N-S-E. If you're not familiar with Cofence, they put out some pretty interesting information. This is the 2023 annual state of email security. And since this is March, my guess is they mean actually it's 2022. And this is their analysis from last year. It comes out this year. Annual state of email security. Um, These folks do a lot of stuff and see a lot of emails, and they put together a whole bunch of information from third party questionnaires and et cetera, et cetera. It's got the whole methodology that they put in here. CoFence, the company, saw 569 more malicious ph- phishing emails that had a 478% increase in the number of credential phishing-related active threat reports. Um, so, interesting. Like, the numbers are going up, not going down. Now, you could argue that the numbers are going up and you're not seeing as many compromises directly related to phishing because phishing is getting phishing training is getting better. That's probably accurate at some stage. But what, if you follow further down into this report, um, you'll see that they actually start breaking out. Well, which things are the most uh, targeted within the context of phishing? And guess what? It's still the same stuff it was years ago. It's it's creds. Like that's what adversaries are going after because creds give you good things. Um, several inputs to Cofense uh, saw an increase of almost 500 percent of credential-specific phishing threats. So substantial increase, Uh, does that mean that we should give up on fishing training? Absolutely not. But does that mean that it's basically, in my experience and interest, more proof that we keep treating people as technical controls and expect things to get better? And that's not the case. Um, they have a question here about business email compromised domains. What do you get when you analyze 10,000 email accounts used to send over 25,000 emails? You get visibility in which type of email accounts used by threat actors go undetected. Also noteworthy, we saw that nine different customers received an email from the same email address, which is a spoofed domain. Most of those are free email domains, but the next level of that is ISP. Uh, and overall, in 2022, there was a 341% increase in Web tech- 3 technologies using phish- used in phishing campaigns. There's an 800% increase in the use of targeted phishing, leveraging Telegram bots. So phishing, honestly, when you're looking at the numbers, is getting worse. It's just, be- why is it getting worse? Because the bang for the buck for the adversary is so good. Now here's where I think there's some veracity given finally to the credence around browser isolation being useful. It talks about the types of attacks and it says specifically, where's the biggest growth, malicious HTML attachments. If you were using a solution that had isolation within the containers and the browser sort of side that we're talking about, you could negate a lot of that. And it does you don't have to not get fished. you know what I mean? Uh, Adobe is the top domain used for phishing emails. Adobe followed by SharePoint, followed by Google, followed by Canva, followed by AWS, by Evernote, Dropbox, Box, Microsoft, and ClickFunnels, whatever ClickFunnels is. Uh, the top level domain is .com, obviously. And the third one, the top level domain is 54.28%. The next one down, .NET, which who looks at .NET stuff, is 723 um, the most active type of phishing emails, and this is the interesting takeaway here, is reaching inboxes. PDF, .html, DOCX, And they're, we're not talking like a little bit of growth. We're talking substantial, hundreds of percentile over time, over the last year. And obviously, anytime you're looking at stuff from a vendor, um, it's not to knock the vendor, but you do have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because there's always, you know, wag the dog scenario. But... Those numbers are substantial. Um, so like I said, I'll throw this link to this report in there. Chew on it yourself. I think it's got some really interesting data and could be used for a whole bunch. I mean, if, you, if you're if you trying to put together your strategy and your budget and you're saying, look, I got a million dollars and where does a million bucks go? Well, if I look at the data that tells me historically, including the Verizon Dibber and the CoFence report and all these other things, where adversaries get their initial compromise, where would I put my money? Other than that, I mean, duh. You know, it's not uh, this ain't rocket surgery. Um, if the bad guys are literally telling you what they're gonna do and you choose to do the opposite, you kind of deserve what happens to you. I hate to be the one to say it. Emulate, I'm not sure if that's how you say the name. Simulate. C Y emulate. I think that's how you say it. But anyway, they really they produced a report findings from a million security assessments. Um, pretty interesting. The key takeaways, uh, most organizations are testing for trending threats at the expense of the ones they are more likely to experience. Like I literally just said, organizations are actively testing against threats seen in the news because they're sexy, shiny, cool, likely from pressure to report on their exposure risk to emergent threats. That's a good. Up, that's good up to a point, but it takes away from assessing threats and exposures that are more likely actively targeting the business. Uh, known and cataloged industry-wide security issues remain unaddressed. 40% of the top 10 CVEs identified most by vulnerability management platforms were over two years old and yet remain unpatched. 40% over two years old. A significant number of organizations are not testing against more widely recognized threats such as proxy, not shell, and emotet. The effectiveness of data protection measures has declined. That's probably the result of DLP. Jumping from 30 to 44 to 22, the average data exfiltration risk score has worsened considerably. Networking group policies have had a positive impact on prevention of data exfiltration, which has driven attackers to resort to alternative exfil methods, mainly phishing and getting it that way. 92% 92% of the top 10 exposures are related to domain and email security. Do you see a trend? Like, I, I can't be the only person that gets the, like, what's the the Charlie from It's Always Sunny thing with all the pens on the wall and the string? Like, it's there. In 2022, the top 10 exposures detected by Simulate, Simulate, whatever, External Attack Service Management modules showed most detected exposures were spread across domain security at 59.3% and email security at 328 Breach and attack simulation does have a significant positive impact on cyber resiliency. I would say that's kind of a dull one because you should know that if you test your stuff, you'll at least know where things go. So I'll put that report in the links as well. Um, good data, good use, and a good way to kind of line up on where you're going as far as your uh, your planned approach. Uh, the This report that came out from uh, uh, the record on recorded future Alexander Martin, March 26th, 2023. So Lloyd's of London says it's controversial cyber war exclusions could hit profits. Oh, I feel so bad for you because you guys are admitting that your way of ripping people off is coming back to bite you in the ass. The chief executive of Lloyd's of London warned last week that it could suffer a short term hit to its income as a result of its controversial cyber war exclusions lloyd's which is not an insurer itself but a corporate body and market for underwriters was criticized last year after developing several exclusions allowing insurers to reject claims in the event of a state-sponsored attack if you're not familiar with this it's called the war clause and essentially these folks have come up with some crazy thing like an algebra where there's a transitive property that if my organization is attacked by a hacker group that's using servers in Ukraine because Ukraine is at war with Russia. Therefore the transitive property of cyber insurance says I was attacked in an enemy nation state sort of thing that's at war with somebody. Therefore I'm part of the war exclusion. Like it's total horseshit. It's just so they don't have to pay. Um, during Q and a sessions on March 23rd, following its annual results announcement, Lloyd's chief executive, John Neal said it was self-evident that underwriters could not provide carte blanche cover for cyber war. And this is the CEO of Lloyd saying, we cannot leave ourselves in a dot, dot, dot situation. For example, with business interruption claims, we're debating the cover at the point of loss. He says reported an insurance insider adding that even if the stance meant a short-term hit on income, cyber remains the fastest growing product in the insurance market. Hmm. So when you have the executive of one of the largest companies on the planet telling you that what they're selling is not up to par and they're taking a hit because it's a ripoff, but then they're saying that that's the fastest growing product in the market, sounds like a problem to me. The development of the exclusion followed several high profile and multi-year legal cases related claims around NotPetya, which was in 2017, that reportedly caused more than $10 billion. Hmm? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Last year, Mondelez International and Zurich American Insurance reached a settlement in their multi year legal battle over the food company's claim that also was hit during NotPetya. That followed a New Jersey court ruling in favor of Merck, which had sued its insurer, Ace American, for refusing to cover damages suffered because of NotPetya. In that case, the court dismissed Ace American's defense that the attack was an act of war and therefore excluded by the insurance contract. Merck's lawyers successfully argued that acts of war as defined in the contract referred exclusively to official state actions, which didn't apply to the NotPetya attack. So more stuff on cyber insurance. I'm not going to read through the rest of this because I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an insurance expert, but uh, be aware that this is the way that this is being put together. And if you are buying cyber insurance and cyber insurance policies, make sure that you know what's the what because there is a real issue and risk that is going on with the way that this whole thing is run, managed, maintained, et cetera, et cetera. Um, If you're not looking at it, then that's a problem Um, for sure. For real, for super, super real. Note this. And okay. uh, Like I said, I'll throw that in there. Um, Identity theft resource center also published. This is a good time of year because everyone's publishing their annual stuff from last year. Uh, annual data breach report reveals record number of compromises. Hmm. The 2022 report from, uh, identity theft resource center, top 10 compromises, Twitter, Neo pets. Didn't even know the Neo pets was a thing. 69 million victims, AT&T cash app, beetle eye, uh, and then a bunch of other things. Um, Let's see, 1,802 total compromises, 422 million total victims. Now, a lot of those are probably deduped, that need to be deduped, whatever else, but it is what it is. Top 10 data breach attributes, name, social, date of birth, address, driver's license, medical history, bank account. Like, Here's the question that comes from this, and again, this is something that everyone should look at and read. If regulation and all these other things that we put out there, Sarbanes-Oxley and GDPR and blah, 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 actually we're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Would this still be a thing? Because when you're looking at what's been compromised, that's all PII. That's all HIPAA. That's all high trust. That's all PCI data. Why aren't companies going out of business? Because they've been hit with this and they're not hit once. They're hit repeatedly. And all they do is stroke a check and go on about their day and continue getting past it. And they say that they're compliant, whatever else, and nothing happens. There is a standard for negligence in all kinds of industries, in car and automobiles and medical malpractice, whatever else. There should be a standard for cyber malpractice, cyber negligence, because if those fines and if those compliance regulations and requirements are not doing what they're supposed to do why because no one's actually penalized what happens in other organizations in other verticals when somebody does things that are knowingly negligent and overtly wrong somebody goes to jail put people in jail and watch what happens stop with the bullshit we're going to find you and it's going to be 4% of this and blah, 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 that and whatever else. So what does the cost of doing business? Put somebody in jail, put one executive in jail for negligence for three years. Watch how the market change guaranteed until that happens. Who cares? doesn't matter. Not gonna make a lick of difference. Um, Yes. So the executive order uh, that came out recently um, uh, sets up guardrails for use of commercial spyware. This, honestly, I read through it two or three times because it's a bit confusing to me. So let me let me read some of this for you. President Biden signed executive order on Monday. That's uh, this Monday that prohibits U.S. government agencies from using commercial spyware that presents a national security risk to the United States. The new guidelines set long-awaited guardrails on how the U.S. government uses commercial spyware and responds to the growing risk of powerful surveillance tools, which allow buyers to remotely hack an electronic device and extract information without the target's knowledge. Um, In examining the issue, the White House found that commercial spyware vendors were aggressively marketing, seeking to make inroads into the U.S. as many law enforcement agencies, et cetera, et cetera. Monday's guidelines seek to help agencies avoid the use of technology that history being used against the United States or violating human rights. But the executive order is not part of right ban on U.S. agencies using spyware. Rather, the order seeks to run the use deemed unacceptable by U.S. government. Um, yeah, so I don't quite understand from reading through this what what the point of that is. Having worked in the government, in the military, and as a civilian and as a contractor, uh, you're not allowed to use spyware programs on government devices for stuff. I don't, I don't know. And I read through the executive order. I don't exactly get what they were trying to say here or why this was newsworthy. Um, it, it, it's a real kind of, huh? Um, article that was published. I, you're, you sign paperwork when you work for the government that says you won't do these things. If you do those things, it's illegal and it's, you, you're not supposed to do it. And then they can put all these other controls on your machine, especially if they issue it to you to keep you from using those pieces of software. So I I, if anyone has any knowledge of what the hell this thing actually means, please let me know and share with the community because I don't get the gist on this one. I don't see where the juice from the squeeze shows up. Um, is it just uh, It almost seems like a, a marketing ploy from the administration to say we're doing something to stop spyware on government systems but it's interesting that this came out during the same time i think the publication came out the same time that the ceo of tiktok was being um held up for uh, for the stuff on capitol hill i don't know you could have just said ban tiktok i mean yeah uh ivanti published a report uh on government cybersecurity status um this was super interesting, too, because when you look at it, um, there's some data in here that's kind of troubling. And that this is not just the United States. This is government, broadly government. Ivanti uh, surveyed 800 government employees worldwide, so it was global. Um, a proliferation of devices using locations adds complexity and new vulnerabilities. 47% of security professionals worldwide say they don't have high visibility into every user, device, application, or service on their networks. 34% of government workers, again, worldwide surveyed use the same similar passwords across multiple devices. Hmm. 34%. So that's 3 out of 10. 1 in 3. Substantial. Do employees think their actions matter? And when you look at this globally... 34% of the employees surveyed out of 800 said, nah, um, not really, doesn't matter. Uh, in the U.S., interestingly enough, only about 20%, so better numbers in the U.S., whereas Germany, 53%, like half, were just like, it doesn't matter what I do, I don't care. Um, interesting. Government workers get phished. Uh, 30% of government workers globally say they've been a target of phishing. of that 30 have fallen victim to a phishing attack by clicking a link or actually sending money to whoever they were phished by. Um, And if you go further into this, you can look at what actually is more interesting on the specific failures. Poor cyber hygiene, including bad password habits, haunts government agencies. And again, globally, percentage of government employees who use the same work password for longer than a year. U.S., 32%. UK, 47%. So you beat us there, UK, congrats. Uh, And France, 41%. Globally, 40% are using the same one. Yeah. 12% of government employees globally admit to accessing sensitive information they didn't require for their job duties. So if you're ever looking for a reason that ZT should be applied, there it is. Why should those individuals that are using shitty passwords and that don't believe that their stuff matters access things that aren't part of their job uh think younger employees are more savvy about password security the data does not back that up um and this is the question that they ask these people when you're asked to create a login password at work which of these things have you done within the last two years gen z 48 percent of them say they use similar passwords or the same dev- passwords on multiple devices millennials uh, let's see. Millennials, forty percent use the same password. Gen X, thirty-one, and Boomers, twenty-two. So Boomers actually are better at IT and cybersecurity than Gen Z, than the di- digital natives. That's pretty damn interesting, if you ask me. So don't hate on the Boomers because they're better at this than you, young whippersnappers. Does your organization provide mandatory cybersecurity training? Globally, thirty-nine percent don't. Uh, France, 78% don't. 27% of government workers globally feel very prepared to recognize and report threats like malware and phishing. 27%. A couple more things here that are uh, tied into this. So, uh, most commonly reported barriers to global cybersecurity excellence. Tech stat complexity, lots and lots of tech. Security skills gap, second to that. Uh, training, third to that. Over-reliance on trust, fourth. Budget, fifth. Lack of leadership, sixth. So really, it's too much tech. Um, this is a really good report. Lots of really good data here. If you haven't read this, go check it out, because Avanti's done a pretty good job, especially since this is global in nature. Um, I got to make sure I throw the right links in here so that I don't get hate from folks about like, well, that's not the right file and blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then lastly, because I like to get this done in under 30 minutes, Biden's national cybersecurity strategy wants to redirect responsibility from users to manufacturers. This is a little bit older, but there's a point in here that's worth noting. Um, And I'm I'm actually crawling through this, working on a, a paper about it too, but... The strategy, which was released uh, a little bit ago, seeks to create fundamental shift across two areas. And this is the Biden administration, broadly moving responsibility for insecure technology from the users, of small businesses uh, is divine built and secure. The ultimate goal to change a status quo where a single person's momentary lapse in judgment, use of outdated password error, and click on a suspicious link can have consequences across multiple organizations and sectors and negatively impact national security. To do that, the strategy pushes a series of actions including beefing up regulatory standards, which I already talked about aren't making a difference around cyber for sectors, critical infrastructure, blah, 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 um, et cetera, et cetera. The strategy flags China as the country's broadest most active and most persistent threat, along with Russia, Iran, and North Korea. Um, Yeah. Now, this is where it goes a little bit sideways because the strategy is okay, but the strategy... Uh, and I'll get in, I'll throw it at the end of the thing, but specifically it says that these are, um, aligned on self-reporting, uh, and self-attestation and are not mandatory. So guess what happens? Um, you assess yourself. I'm awesome. You self-report. Nothing is wrong with me and it's not mandatory. It's not legally enforced. So who the fuck cares? Uh, it's not that it's not that the strategy that the Biden administration put out there. And again, like I've said a hundred times, I don't give a damn about politics. All politicians are a whole other issue, but the, the reality of it is there's no teeth to these things. Um, I mean, I literally read the reporter, It uh, talked about how it's not making a difference and we're not punishing. So why bother? And now we're going to say self attestation, not mandatory, not legally enforced. And you're able to do a self-assessment. Would you get on an airplane if the airline industry operated that way? I wouldn't. I'd walk my ass wherever I had to go. Would you get in a vehicle if the government or if the uh, vehicle manufacturers were able to do all that stuff that way? Hmm. Anyway, uh, 30 minutes, 40-something seconds. Um, There's a whole lot more I could go into. I'll throw the links in here after this is all over. Um, Oh, the last thing I did want to say, uh, because everyone asks this question all the time about uh, Zero Trust and where to start, NIST, uh, N-C-C-O-E, has published something that is implementing a Zero Trust architecture, and it's got a whole bunch of really good information, really good documents, lines up on the NIST series, etc. It has a project abstract in there. It talks about the vendors that are participating. Um, If you're looking to get information on how the federal government is doing ZTE or you want to provide your super amazing giant brain input into how zt should mature and evolve here's your chance because they say in this document and on this webpage that they are looking for people to come in and say here's what we think about what you're doing and this is NIST nccoe national cyber center of excellence so go look at that if you want to provide your input there please do um and then your stuff might get included but that's also got a lot of really good documentation and a really good guide on how the government is looking at this. So there you go. Uh, Anyway, as always, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. I'll catch you on the next one. And if you're going to be at RSA in a few weeks, hit me up and let me know. Love to talk ZT. Thanks. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.